All right, welcome back. Uh, again, we're on the uh, working our way through the Ten Commandments, and uh, this is Pastor Keith Pearson and, Tar- and Dr. Tom Salt. And why are we doing this? Well, when I grew up, I was kind of got the impression that some alien lorded over the people of Earth and gave him these arbitrary rules that I didn't really have any context for. Right. And so maybe that's not the right way to view it. No. There was, to me, there were like the ten, ten ways in which you're not supposed to have fun. Yeah. 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 But the more I look at it, the more I you know, study it and the more I think about it, um, yeah, it really has a very different meaning for me. Uh, you start with the context, where it came from. These, these come out of the Exodus story, so it's after God's people have been slaves in Egypt, and God has intervened, broke them out of that slavery, and is leading them back to the Promised Land. And along the way, uh, on their way back, God kind of takes a moment and says, you know, this, this is how free people should live. If you want to remain free people, this is how you need to live. And these are ten, ten things, ten rules, ten wisdoms by which... You'll live. So we started off with... And the black and white nature of the human mind converted that to commandments. And commandment is a, is a reasonable word, but, but there's a larger context to this. It's not just ten isolated things. It's ten ways in which we have to live with each other in order to be free and prosperous and create heaven on earth. Right. And I think it starts from the heart of God. It's who God is, who God's identity is. So the first thing is a reminder. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one that broke you out of slavery, led you out into freedom. Have no other gods before me. Second thing has to do with God's name. You know, don't don't disrespect God's name. Don't dis- misuse God's name. Uh, it has to do with God's reputation, God's ability to do what God needs to do. If God doesn't have the right reputation, if that, people don't know to trust this God. So the third one then is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I was just, we were just talking a few minutes ago, and I, I mentioned that a few years ago I i had an acquaintance and I was going to go rock climbing, and I called him up and I said, um, do you want to go rock climbing? And he said, well, this is the Lord's Day. I can't go rock climbing. And it that goes to what is work. And, you know, is healing the sick work is going into the wilderness and uh, appreciating the awe of the creation work? What is work? So that that is kind of where, when you get into Jesus' time, we've sort of gotten to a point of extreme legalism and almost tedious detail. Uh, And there were these great and vast arguments about what exactly is work, how much work is work. So carrying a burden is work. Well, how much weight is it to before it becomes a burden? Is my cloak a burden? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can take it to the ultimate extreme where a person who believes they're being absolutely holy and absolutely following this commandment uh, simply stays in bed all day and never, never leaves the bed. But isn't having the weight of the covers on you work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can take it to all these ridiculous extremes. So it, for me, it helps to go back to the core. You know, where did this come from and, and what were the circumstances in which it, gives, it, it was given? So back to the Exodus story, you know, they were slaves. Slaves don't get a day off. Uh, in fact, even I read at one point, uh, even the, uh, the, uh, the Greeks thought uh, that the Jews were lazy because they demanded a holiday uh, every week. <laughs> 
so no this was this was what uh, this was really the first gift that God gives to God's people so they're you're no longer slaves so take take a time take the time off stop for crying out loud and not just resting because you could stay home in your pajamas all day long and you'd uh, that would be okay, and there's sometimes when you maybe just need that. Yeah. Uh, but there's something more about it. Might this be too. boring too. Yeah, it could be boring. It doesn't. It's not always life giving. So on some level, this is a gift of joy. Yeah. A gift of a gift of respite. A gift of uh, uh, respite from the the drudgery and the monotony of the everyday work. Absolutely. You know, think about it in our time in our context too. We. We went from a time when we had all these blue laws. You know, shops were closed. You couldn't get a tank of gas or anything like that or a loaf of bread on Sunday because we had these blue laws in this country that insisted that businesses close down. More importantly, you couldn't get beer. Uh, true. true. <laughs> if you really want to enjoy, how can you? You have to plan ahead, I guess. Yeah. But No spontaneity allowed. No spontaneity allowed, yeah. <laughs> um, this, even, this even plays out in the, the wilderness story as the people of God are continuing to wander out their way back toward uh, the promised land. Uh, God provided, they're, they're out in the desert. They got no food. They got no, there are no 7-Elevens on the corner. There aren't any 7-Elevens anywhere anymore, come to think of it. Uh, there are no places for them to get food. Uh, so God sends this, this mystical uh, bread from heaven that falls, that collects like dew on the, on the ground and they scrape together and make enough bread for the day. And there's specific rules. They can only gather as much as they need for that day. If When they try to do more than that, it turns rotten and wormy and all kinds of disgusting things. Uh, so it's a, it was a trust exercise. So next day, promise you, there'll be more. There'll be more, so don't worry about it. When you came to the sixth day, they, then they were given the instructions, collect twice as much as you need for a day because you're going to need it through the Sabbath tomorrow. And we don't want you to don't want you to work on the Sabbath. We want you to, to take this day to rest. And uh, lo and behold, the stuff did not turn wormy on the seventh day when they collected double. In fact, if they went out looking for it on the seventh day, it wasn't there. So does that mean we're supposed to work twice as hard on Saturday? <laughs> I'm not sure. Vacation kind of works out that way. It seems like <laughs> yeah, it you take does. time off. You have to work a little extra hard before you go, and you have to work harder after you get back. But there is still something redeeming about that time away, <laughs> even if even with that extra load and a little bit of a fallacy of what a break is. But you know, we we don't truly do enough of this. We don't break enough. We don't pause enough, or we don't do it in a way that's always refreshing. Uh, can't remember where. Uh, read another article about this too that uh, we're entertaining ourselves to death yeah we've probably have never had more uh, discretionary time in the history of the world it doesn't take nearly as much of our waking hours to provide the basics that we need to stay alive at least in this country uh, to have enough food to have a sufficient shelter and those sort of things uh, but we keep expanding what what need is and that uh, well now I need to a four-bedroom house, even though there's only two of us that live here, and I need a four-car garage, not a two-car garage, uh, even though there's two of us that drive. Um, I need to go to the theater. I need to go to Hawaii. I need to go to... Um, well, I was planning on moving into one of those uh, tiny houses. Oh, yeah. But I was going to put it right next to an 80 by 80 shed. I think I would be with you on that, but I, I don't think my wife would agree on that. Yeah. Um, but 
so we fill our hours and people people complain about being overly busy and overly committed and overly taxed in their time but most of it is discretionary right and distraction to the point of um, insanity I mean you know we, we we can't just drive we have to drive and text and then we kill people yeah I mean our distractions and our need <coughs> for constant entertainment is murderous yeah. it's really surprising uh, I do this exercise once in a while with my confirmation kids <clears throat> but I actually make them stop and just be silent yeah and maybe do a little guided meditation where mm. I just literally make them lay down on the floor, uh, not touching anybody or anything, all the other noises turned off, and just I just walk through a, maybe a simple reading or a simple meditation and occasionally have a kid fall asleep, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but almost universally, when I talk to the kids after that, they just love it. Because it's so different than anything that they do in their day. Their day is jammed with stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, similar similar experience. We used to people used to pay us to take them on hikes at night, mm-hmm. and we would show up about dusk at you know a place we were going to hike. In this case, it was out. The one I'm thinking of was out in California at a place called the Pinnacles National Monument, which is just all these giant pinnacles, um, and We'd take a little hike and, and get familiar with the area. And then probably after after it's good and dark, we'd take a little nap for a couple of hours. Then at about 2 or 3 in the morning, we'd get up and take another long hike. And the rule on the second hike, the first hike was really about getting to know the area, getting to know each other. The second hike was in silence, and it was a distance apart so you couldn't see the person in front of you or behind you. So you were really walking in silence in the dark, in the wilderness. And it was something that was magical. And, um, you know, it, it develops your senses in a way that you can't develop in another way to be able to actually hear the sides of the trail. Um, my wife and I were doing something similar to this, and, and we were walking along, and I said, Now, do you feel that tree coming? No. Stop for a second. Do you do you hear the tree? Do you feel the tree? No. Okay. Well, let's keep walking right into the tree. Right? She, <laughs> she didn't think it was nearly as funny as she I did. Feel it. No. <laughs> but you you know you hear the echo. It's almost like echolocation. You can yeah. feel the moisture. There's so many things that come alive with your senses when you're not continuously dulling them by being busy. So a couple of my hobbies, I uh, like scuba diving. And one of the things that I love about it is that is you can't talk to anybody. Yeah. Well, you can now with some newer technology, but that was one of the things. Yeah. You, you just kind of have to be there. And in fact, the less you do, the more you see. And it's just being there and that deep breathing and hearing the bubbles rush past your head and pausing and just kind of hovering there. Uh, then you see the ocean floor starting to come to life. All the stuff that saw you coming before and was afraid of you and went and hid now starts coming out and starts moving around, and you start to see the intricacies of all the, the corals and the, the plant life and the, the colors of the fish, and it just it's really stunning how much is there when you take time to see it. The other thing, uh, one of my other hobby, riding motorcycle, uh, is another one of those. We can talk back and forth to one another through our helmets, my wife and I, when we ride together, or occasionally I've had these communication systems between bikes with other fellow riders, 
but for the most part, it's a silent thing. And in fact, a few years ago, I was I was able to take a sabbatical, another version of Sabbath, and uh, part of that, I, I took a ride from here out to the East Coast and back again, and uh, I had music in my helmet always, and I noticed along the way that, that was, there was something even intrusive about that. So I started in a new routine. Every morning, I would start in complete silence, shut off the radio, nothing else, nothing but the road in front of me and the wind and just let that be the experience for a while and it was really beautiful and meditative and I'd notice kind of along the way uh, as I traveled it would certainly it would little by little uh, other things would start to come in and other thoughts would start to come in my head and it would there would come a time when it was okay to go back to uh, listening to music or some other sounds in my in my helmet but uh, uh, that pause that initial pause was so good and so refreshing yeah, as far back as high school, uh, I've been uh, very interested in quietness and meditation. And uh, I was on the cross-country team, and uh, there was more than one time when I would get so deep into my own head and, and not caring about anything else that I would run right past the school on our way back. <laughs> I used to get some pretty serious razzing about that, but... You know, it's a way of clearing out the day. I mean, whether you're ruminating or you're just trying to become aware of your own thoughts and let them go, most of us have so many shoulds pulling on us all day long. I should do this. I should do that. I should be doing that. That we can't simply be. And I think that's really what this commandment is about. It's about just being. And realizing that our worth as human beings isn't about our output, it isn't about our job, it isn't about our cars and our junk, it's about being. Yeah. I think it's, and it's, again, it's not just the staying home in your pajamas, but it's uh, being and being in relationship too. God wants us to be in relationship with God, but God wants us to be in relationship with one another. And something about those pause moments that we kind of re-engage each other and rebuild these relationships that we have. Remember who we are, for crying out loud, uh, and who's important in our lives and that sort of thing. That's that's one of my memories from my childhood of what the Sunday, the Sabbath was. Not only that time to go to church and kind of be retold the story of who I am and where I came from, what I belong to, uh, but then going out and being with family and being with neighbors and just having a, a relaxing time and playing games and singing songs and play, uh, just just being uh, in that way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think that today, um, and you know, every generation thinks that the, the generation behind it is destroying itself, but and I'm getting old enough to be in that old generation, I guess, but you know, now we're so fixated on our screens, and I'm, I'm not innocent. I have a smartphone, and it's constantly, you know, interrupting my train of thought. But we, um, you know, we don't simply be present with the people around us. It seems like it's more important to text the person that's not there than it is to have conversation and communion with the people who are there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's something that... Um, is important to interrupt. It's important to interrupt um, the idea that there's something else that's more important than is what's actually right here. So tell me from your perspective, a doctor's perspective, what what is it that we're doing to ourselves and how does it manifest itself in our health? 
Yeah, so when you are constantly being pulled in multiple directions, you are actually putting yourself in something called fight or flight. So in, in you know, evolutionary times, caveman times, we were walking down uh, a trail and a saber-toothed tiger jumped out in front of us and wah, and then it was either, it was over in one way or another very, very quickly because you either fought it off, you climbed a tree, or you were eaten and it was done. But today... A letter from the IRS is fight or flight. Somebody drifting into your lane is fight or flight. Your boss asking you to come into his office is fight or flight. There are many, many things that are fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, you're shunting blood away from your guts, away from your intestines, towards your muscles, because you're going to fight or run, flight. When you, when you shunt blood away from your gut, you are causing problems with digestion and absorption of nutrients. So you're no longer able to get the kind of nutrition you need from your food. Worse than that, you're leaving these nutrients behind in your intestines that then alter your microbiome. So the microbiome is this teeming ecology of bacteria that are essential for us. In fact, there are more Bugs. There are more bacteria and viruses and all that stuff in our body than there are human cells. We are literally outnumbered and likely insignificant within our own body. And then another layer here is when you're shunting blood away from your gut, you're shunting blood away from 70% of your immune system. 70% of your immune system lines your gut. So now what are you? You're malnourished and you're immunosuppressed because you're so distracted so much and feeling, you know, so um, fight or flight, so sympathetically overdriven. So there are tremendous health implications to this notion of I got to be busy all the time. And, and I fall into this. When I get to the end of my list of emails every day, I think, well, gosh, I've got nothing to do now. Well, <laughs> so I'd rather have 40 more junk emails to process rather than just have some still time? Yeah. That's yeah. It's insanity. <laughs> That's one of, our, one of our culture's false gods is busyness. Yes. When you casually meet somebody on the street or in the coffee shop or whatever, a common thing they'll ask, well, are you keeping busy? Yeah. And God help you if you answer no to that. You know, it's it's a cultural uh, offense to be still. It's a cultural offense to to stop and rest unless you're on vacation. Then you surely should be doing something anyway. You should be going somewhere. You should be... We should be busy and we should be working hard. Yeah. And I like the idea of working smart. Mm-hmm. I try hard... pun intended, I try hard to remind myself that it's better to work smart. And if you can do the same thing in 10 minutes that it normally takes you two hours to do, well, that's, uh, you know, an hour and 50 minutes that you can use to be still or to engage in relationship or to, uh, you know, create something else that's new and useful. So there's really something to this, this Sabbath break. Really, the what it does for our bodies, what it does for our relationships, and ultimately what it does to reconnect us to our very core. And I would put God at the center of that. This is where we came from. This is this is who we are. And it and it's that uh, impulse to to free ourselves, to uh, not enslave ourselves, not let all these false demands, these uh, self-imposed uh, chains, restrict us and bind us and ultimately kill us. I agree completely. And maybe that's maybe that's the place to stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
join us again.